0: we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Normally, you can't do that. All of a sudden, these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening, and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Back in 1927, an American socialist Six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket said the American people would never vote for socialism. But he said under the name of liberalism, the American people will adopt every fragment of the socialist program. He is more imminent, more imminent, more imminent.
1: James Madison,
0: 1788, speaking to the Virginia Convention, said, Since the general civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations when men were free.
2: Broadcasting live from a secret location buried deep below the earth, you're about to make a connection to the signs of the times. W. Dean Shook is live on the air right now. Welcome in to End Time News. I'm your host, W. Dean Shook, humbly bringing you the news the mainstream media is never going to touch, and I'm proud and privileged to be able to do that. And let me remind you, you can download the End Time News radio app for your Android or your iPhone at either the App Store or Google Play. Download today and never miss another episode of End Time News. Well, we are back in our home studio. I hope our sound is a little better than our last program. We're back with our own equipment and our own programs, so hopefully this sounds a little better than the last one. Thank you for sticking with me. Let me say welcome to all of our listeners on the iHeart Radio Network, the Spreaker Radio Network, the Blog Talk Radio Network, our regular broadcast affiliates across this country, to our international audience. Welcome and thank you for being here. I have a question today that I think is going to be a pretty important question. Are you a parent who has a child either in middle school or maybe just starting high school? Do you think you have the right to know if your child is having sex? Well, according to cnsnews.com, middle and high school students can't get a Coca-Cola or a candy bar at 13 Seattle Public Schools. But they can get a taxpayer-funded IUD implanted without their parents' consent. School-based health clinics in at least 13 Seattle-area public schools and middle schools offer long-acting reversible contraceptives, these are LARCs, including IUDs and hormonal implants to students in six grade, and above at no cost, according to Seattle state officials. LARCs are associated with serious side effects, such as uterine perforation and infection. IUD specifically can also act as contraceptive, preventing implantation of fertilized eggs. The state and federally funded contraceptive services are made possible by Take Charge!, a Washington State Medicaid group which provides a free birth control to adults who are uninsured, lack contraceptive coverage, have an income at or below, get this, 260% of the federal poverty level, or in this case to teens who don't want their parents to know they're on birth control. In an email exchange with the Washington State Health Care Authority and CNS News, A Take Charge spokesman acknowledged that underage students are eligible for a full array of covered family planning services at school-based clinics if their parents meet the program's requirements. Take Charge added that a student who does not want their parents to know that they're seeking reproductive health services is allowed to apply for Take Charge using their own income, and if they're insured under their parents' plan, the insurance will not be billed. When asked if a sixth grader could get an IUD implanted without parental consent, Take Charge told CNS.com We encourage all Take Charge providers to offer long acting reversible contraceptives in their clinics. A young person does not need parental consent to obtain an LARC or any other contraceptive method. If the young person is choosing abstinence, she would be able to select an LARC and have it inserted without parental consent. So while the students can't get a soda from the cafeteria due to the Seattle School Board's 2004 ban on junk food, they can get an IUD implanted at their school's health center without their parents' knowledge or permission. According to the Washington State Medicaid website, health centers at four middle schools and nine high schools in Seattle participating in the Take Charge program. Other Take Charge providers are located in proximity to the school. They say we have public health departments, community-based clinics, college and university clinics, pediatric clinics, private physician practices, and family planning clinics like Planned Parenthood as providers. Take Charge said in an email exchange, A total of 38 Planned Parenthood clinics participate in the Take Charge program. And we know that Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States and the largest contributor to the genocide of abortion in this country. And they're in our schools performing these things on our kids without parental permission. Think you have a right to know what your child is doing? Well, according to Tom DeLay, the Justice Department wants to legalize 12 perversions, he said on Newsmax.com. Former U.S. House Majority Leader Tom DeLay claims the Justice Department has drafted a memo that spells out a dozen perversions, including bestiality and pedophilia, that it once legalized. He said, we found a memo coming out of the Justice Department. They're now going after 12 new perversions. Things like bestiality, polygamy, having sex with little boys, making that legal. The lay said on Tuesday to the Steve Maltzberg Show on Max TV. Here's a clip of that interview.
1: If this uh, Supreme Court rules against marriage, all hell is going to break loose. In fact, I'm a signatory of, of a document that basically says you can rule any way you want to, but we're going to stand for marriage even if it takes civil disobedience.
3: All right, there you go. That was Tom DeLay on June 4th, I believe, and uh, now on June 29th, former U.S. House Majority Leader, uh, former congressman uh, uh, from the great state of Texas, Tom DeLay. So, Congressman, uh, the the, the court did it, and uh, is all hell going to break
1: loose? All hell is breaking loose. I mean, just right here in Texas, our Attorney General, Kim Paxton, has written a, an attorney general's opinion directing our county clerks that in, issue marriage licenses that they don't have to issue marriage licenses if it conflicts with their religious beliefs. That's just the beginning. And there's uh, that are doing things already in just the last few days all over this country, uh, letting letting their elected officials know uh, that they are upset with this, that the the Supreme Court is out of control. Uh, that we are in a constitutional crisis. You know, Steve, uh, we're really in a constitutional crisis. We have a president that totally disregards the Constitution, steps all over it. We have a a Supreme Court that in in not just these two uh, decisions, but in multiple decisions, the John Roberts Court has six justices now that believe that the Constitution is a living document and whatever they say goes uh... and and we have a congress a republican congress that doesn't even understand the constitution and the fact that they have the most power and can stand up and stop the other two branches we're in serious trouble
3: we are in serious trouble and you know it it it, it's it's not only stopping there i mean they're not even pretending to stop here uh... they're they're going forward they're talking uh, there's articles being written about and op eds being written about how you now polygamy is next but also uh, perhaps worse of all, is that they're talking about if you are a religious objector, quote-unquote, then shame on you because that's the same logic used by people when uh, they didn't want blacks to marry whites, and, you know, or you're a bigot, you're, 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 you're indicted already, and, and they're moving towards that direction, which you know what it's going to lead to, the discussion, like the Solicitor General said when asked by, I believe it was Samuel Alito and during the oral arguments on this case, what happens to the tax-exempt status of religious institutions that, if we rule in your favor, he said, preach marriages still between a man and a woman? Uh, are, they gonna, are you going to go after their tax-exempt status? And the Solicitor General said, that's a conversation we, we, we'll need to have.
1: Well, we've already found a, a secret memo uh, coming out of the Justice Department. They're, they're now going to go after 12 new perversions, things like bestiality, uh, polygamy, uh, uh, having sex with little boys and making that legal and, uh, and, and not only that but they have a whole list of strategies to uh, go after the churches the pastors and, and any businesses that uh, tries to assert their religious liberty this is coming and it's coming like a tidal wave
3: alright so congress I just want to get this straight so you, you, you are aware of a justice department memo where that says there will be an effort to, to legitimize or legalize Bestiality, uh, pedophilia, and there's
1: a per, as you put it, perversions. That's correct. That's correct. They're coming down with 12, 12 new perversions.
0: <laughs>
1: and the LGBT just isn't uh, the be- is only the beginning. Uh, they're going to start expanding it to the other uh, perversions.
3: All right, well, I, I, you know, not, nothing anymore would surprise me. Absolutely nothing would surprise me.
2: And he's right when he says we have a president that totally disregards the Constitution, steps all over it. We have a Supreme Court that believes the Constitution is a living document. Whatever they say goes. We have a Republican Congress that doesn't even understand the Constitution. And the fact that we have the most power can still stand up and stop the other two branches. We're in serious trouble because we don't do that. And if you think he's wrong about this, go back in the archives of my program where about four or five weeks ago, I did an entire program on pedophilia becoming the new sexual orientation. And that's really a program that I had hoped that I would be wrong about. Turns out, here it is, just exactly as I said in that program four or five weeks ago. Go back and listen to that program, Pedophilia, the next sexual orientation. Boy, that's sure not one I wanted to be right on. Well, let's move on. Gun owners, according to WND, have a strategy to kill a new registration bill in New York. I think this is a pretty good example of how we, the people, can stand up against something. In a move described as a stunning repudiation of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and his anti-gun Democrat allies, residents of the state have issued a veto of a new gun legislation by simply ignoring it. The impact of the move was described recently by the Gun Owners of America. said, We know that less than 4.5% of the assault weapons in New York were registered with the state as required by the draconian 2013 law, despite threats of warnings from hysterical New York Democrats and their allies in the media. This, according to a posting from Bob Owens on the GOA website, this is even a greater refusal rate than was expected in next-door Connecticut, where anti-gun advocates rammed through a similar law in the wake of Sandy Hook and saw at least 85% of the Constitution's state gun owners defiantly refuse to register their firearms and going as far as to dare Governor Daniel Malloy to attempt confiscation. The GAO called it a stunning repudiation of Como, The revolt began in 2013 when New York, like neighboring Connecticut, adopted a number of gun measures after the Sandy Hook shooting, which one man had shot 20 children, 6 adults, before killing himself. Well, one of the requirements was that people who own what the state newly defined as assault weapons registered it in the state. While such weapons were defined by certain characteristics, some of which were cosmetic, for example, uh, triggering features including a detachable magazine or pistol grip. Folks, this is stunning. By any measure, the GOA commentary said, as Frank Minister noted last year, just days before the registration deadline, the National Shooting Sports Foundation conservatively estimated the number of firearms that qualify as assault weapons under the New York law were at least one million. One million. The law was adopted by lawmakers on January 25, 2013, in the middle of the night, described as so critical that a three-day review period was waived. It bans high-capacity magazine, imposes new background check requirements, requires stolen guns to be reported, requires a safe storage, and increases penalties for taking a gun onto school property. But apparently the people had a different idea and just said, uh, nope, not going to do that. Pretty much like they're doing with the uh, gay marriage debate that uh, has actually just started. And we're going to cover that in just a couple of minutes. I wanted to report uh, from Breitbart News that ISIS is celebrating the Supreme Court decision by tossing four accused gay men off of a roof. While the jihadist terror group Islamic State responded to the Supreme Court's recent decision on gay marriage by killing accused gay men by pushing them off of a roof. Released on the same day as the U.S. Supreme Court decision legalizing homosexual marriage across all 50 states, the video shows ISIS militants pushing several men off a high roof to their deaths. A Syrian Twitter user, using the lovewins hashtag, tweeted that four gay men were pushed to their deaths to celebrate the ruling. The tweet also included photos of the execution, including one partially graphic photo. During the execution, ISIS supporters ironically used the Love Wins hashtag to mock gay rights advocates in the United States. ISIS apparently uses flirting squads to entrap gay men and then executes them when they discover him. This is not the first time ISIS has killed men suspecting of being gay in such a way. Back in January, ISIS went on an execution spree crucifying 17 men, stoning several young women, and flinging allegedly gay men to their deaths from high roofs. During the January spree, ISIS tweeted pictures of the men falling to their deaths and a large crowd watching from below. Earlier this month, ISIS executed another allegedly gay man after dangling him by his feet from a great height for a period of time. ISIS has never forgiven one person. They kill people and say, God will forgive. They hug the men to show the people who are watching that ISIS is not at fault. Anti-ISIS activist Abu Mohammed Hussam Said in a reaction to the earlier executions of homosexuals, he said, ISIS has laws which require execution or other violent punishment for offenses. Many in the United States would see as either minor or simply private choice. Adultery, homosexuality, even cigarette smoking is considered a major crime by ISIS. Every smoker should be aware that every cigarette he smokes in a state of trance and vanity is disobeying God. One ISIS-affiliated radical cleric said, It's just the way it is. And I don't know if you've heard this story or not, but Walmart has finally apologized for making an ISIS cake. Well, what's that all about? Well, Charles Netzhammer went to his local Walmart to order a cake with the Confederate flag that stated, Heritage, not hate. Well, the bakery refused to do it since the company declared a ban on the flag after a gunman murdered nine people at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, Netzheimer drove back to the Walmart and asked for a cake with the ISIS flag. He said, I went back yesterday, managed to get an ISIS flag printed, he said, on a video he posted on YouTube. ISIS happens to be somebody who we're fighting against and now who are killing our men and boys overseas and are beheading Christians. He walked back to the table, showed the audience a white cake box. He said, this is an ISIS battle flag cake that anyone can buy at Walmart. He said, but you can't buy a Confederate flag toy with, like, say, a Dukes of Hazard car. He then showed the rejection letter he received from Walmart over the Confederate flag. He moved down the table, where he presented the camera with the receipt of this cake. So, Walmart, can you please explain to me why you're aligning Southern Americans with the trash that you allow to be sold in your store, while at the same point, Confederate flag memorabilia is not allowed? He asked at the end of the video. After the massacre by a white supremacist in Charleston, a handful of companies have announced they no longer sell the Confederate flag. Walmart Stores was one of these stores. Walmart stated, We never wanted to offend anyone with the products that we offer. Said we've taken steps to remove all items promoting the Confederate flag, whether in our stores or on our website. But apparently the ISIS flag is okay as they throw gay men off of the top of tall buildings. Well, and here's another aspect to the gay marriage ruling. There was a polygamous trio that applied for a marriage license who said, we're just asking for tolerance. WND is reporting a married Montana man has taken his wife and his girlfriend to the Yellowstone County Courthouse and told the clerk, marry us. If the Supreme Court okay gay unions then we should be allowed to join together in polygamy. said it's about marriage equality. This according to Nathan Collier, who filed for a marriage application to two women, Victoria and Christine. CBS reported, you can't have this without polygamy. Victoria is currently his legal wife. Christine is his girlfriend. Collier, 46, is a former Mormon who was excommunicated for polygamy. Here's a clip of that exchange.
3: A man in Montana who said he was inspired by last week's Supreme Court decision legalizing same sex marriage across the country is applying for a license so he can legally wed his second wife even though he's still with the first. Simone D'Albo, CBS affiliate KTVQ in Billings, Montana, met them all.
4: Nathan Collier and his partner Christine went to the Yellowstone County Courthouse looking to be wed under the Marriage Equality Act. The Colliers practice polygamy. But it's currently illegal under Montana state law.
0: We just want to add legal legitimacy to an already happy, functional, strong, loving family.
4: As the two filled out their marriage application, they were met with questions.
5: There's a spot on there where you put the dissolution date of your previous marriage, and we put NA. Okay. You're married to someone else? I'm married
0: to, to my first wife, Victoria.
5: Okay. The couple was met with surprise. So you're
0: legally married? Legally so married in Victoria. So you didn't get divorced from her yet? No, we're still a, we're a plural family. I'm a polygamist. So I have two wives. What on, this is uh, we're not even asking for acceptance. We're just asking for tolerance. Let us live our lives together uh, without fear.
4: The question at hand: Could the marriage equality act extend to polygamists? Now that part isn't quite clear.
5: Okay, and we'll have to deny right. <laughs> deny that because. Uh, let me go grab the other supervisor real quick so I can get confirmation. But uh, as far as I'm aware, you can't be married to two people at the same time.
4: The Colliers were initially denied the license. The clerk later returned, saying they would have to check with the attorney general's office. When asked for comments, MTN News was referred to two sections of Montana law stating polygamy is illegal.
5: For us to come together and create a family, what is wrong with that? I I don't understand why it's looked and frowned upon as being obscene. All right, so if it turns out that you can, then I guess we've all learned something today.
4: The couple's goal is to have their story heard. The Colliers say if the state of Montana could recognize their marriage as legal, it could be the catalyst for other states to follow suit.
1: All we want
0: is is legal legitimacy. We're not asking anybody for anything else.
4: In Billings, Simone D'Alba, MTN News.
2: In a previous interview, he and his two female partners had been hiding their relationship for years, but then decided to go public with an appearance on the reality cable show Sister Wives. They now want government stamped legitimacy for their union, said the three have seven children. Said my wife Christine, who I'm not legally married to, she's put up with my crap for a lot of years, Collier said. She deserves legitimacy. Christine said, It's two distinct marriages. It's two distinct unions. And for us to come together and create family? What's wrong with that? I don't understand why it's looked upon and frowned upon as being obscene. Collier has already looked into legal representation, if need be, and sent an email to the ACLU of Montana about his campaign. His efforts could prove precedent-setting. And the church is not immune from this. According to WND, Episcopalians have approved gay weddings in their church. Hmm. The Episcopalian General Convention took a vote on the heels of the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage and came to a consensus, Congregants who are homosexual can now marry with their church and receive all the benefits and sacraments that go with that. He said, we're all included now, said Reverend Bonnie Perry of Chicago, a lesbian whose parents is a fellow Episcopalian priest. Said in the Associated Press, for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in our congregation, now known under the eyes of God and in every single state in the blessed country, they are welcome to receive all the sacraments. The vote in Salt Lake City at the church's convention passed the House of Deputies and shortly after the House of Bishops with a 129-26 voice, according to the AP. Reverend Brian Baker of Sacramento, who chairs the church committee responsibility for drafting the gay marriage changes, <laughs> called the vote a good thing for Episcopalians. said, we've learned to not only care for, but care about others, he said. The mutual care was present in the conversations we had. Some people disagreed. Some people disagreed deeply. But we prayed, and we listened, and we came up with our compromise that we believe makes room and leaves no one behind. But the fight is not ended. It's starting. This, according to Reverend Jose Luis Menendez of Honduras, speaking in opposition to the church's change in policy, Those of us in the church who are loyal followers of Christ are going to remain firm in not recognizing what happened today. The vote specifically takes out any type of language in the church marriage laws that references gender. And instead of using the term husband and wife, the new text will only cite the couple, the AP said. The church also approved a prayer service for marriage that would be similarly gender-neutral, the new rules, which take effect November 29th, let clergy decline to perform the unions if they don't agree. Hmm, wonder how God feels about that one. Well, and here's one that, um, boy, I just don't know how they came to this. Racist versus racist. Right, how low can we go, folks? Is an exclusive from Breitbart, trouble brewing in South Carolina. Black Panthers plan to rally to counter a KKK rally. There may be a showdown developing in Columbia as New Black Panther Party Affiliate Group plans a rally in the state capital of South Carolina on July 18th, the same day that a protest is planned by a KKK white power group. James Mohammed, with Black Educators for Justice, spoke exclusively with Breitbart News and confirms that his group and affiliate black power groups Plan to have a significant presence at the rally, which is scheduled for almost exactly one month after the Charleston Church Massacre, left nine black churchgoers dead. The white power event was announced earlier this week, reported by USA Today. said, We will be at the steakhouse in Columbia, South Carolina, standing up for our Confederate history and all the Southerners who fought and died against federal tyranny. An automated message on the loyal white knight's answering machine said, The white supremacist group, which claims association with the KKK, is based out of Pelham, North Carolina, according to the group's website. Our government is trying to erase white culture and our heritage right out of the pages of the history books, the message said. So, what do you think? Is this the right thing to do, or is this the wrong thing to do? You're welcome to send your comments at contact at com. That's the email. I'll be more than happy to share any that you send uh, that you give me permission to use. And here's a story that's being reported by Breitbart that I thought was kind of interesting. I'm going to share this with you. Earlier this week, the New York Times published an image of Pope Benedict made entirely of condoms. So some asked, Why the Times published this image after refusing to publish the Charlie Hebdo cartoons back in January? There seemed to be a double standard at play. Public editor Margaret Sullivan cites an explanation by Standards editor Philip Corbett, who attempts to explain the different treatment of the Mohammed cartoons and the Pope condom image. He said, I don't think this situation, the Milwaukee artwork, and the various Mohammed caricatures are really equivalent. He said, For one thing, people might disagree. Museum officials clearly consider this Johnson piece to be a significant piece of artwork. Also, there's no indication the primary intent of the portrait is to offend or blaspheme The artists in the museum both say that it's not intended to offend people but to raise social questions about the fight against AIDS. And finally, the very different reactions about this bear out. Hundreds of thousands of people protested worldwide. For instance, after the Danish cartoons were published some years ago, while some people might genuinely dislike this Milwaukee work, this doesn't seem to be any comparable level of outrage Well, it's frankly astounding that someone with the title of standards editor at the New York Times would write something so clueless in so many and varied ways. First off, Corbett writes that it was not the primary intent of the Pope condom artist to offend, which leaves open that it was a secondary intention, maybe. More importantly, does Corbett believe that the primary intent of the Charlie Hebdo artist was to offend Muslims? According to the artist and the people who knew him, that was not their primary intent. In fact, here's how Charb, one of the victims of the massacre, was described in the New York Times. Mr. Charbonnier did not see it in those terms. Those who knew him and who had followed the magazine's work said it was for him a matter of freedom to think and speak as one wished. This, according to Daniel LeConte, who made a documentary about Charlie Hebdo and its battles over the Mohammed cartoon. They were so friendly, so funny, Mr. LeConte said, describing a team of artists led by Mr. Charbonnier. They liked liberty. They liked freedom. It's not just the Pope condom artist wants to raise social questions about AIDS. The Charlie Hebdo artist wanted to raise social questions about freedom of expression. Why doesn't Corbett know this? Neither artist had offense on their primary motivation, though it's obvious both were willing to express it. Corbett's next claim is the most troubling. He argues that the reaction to these two pieces of art itself are the reason to treat them differently. Well, Corbett cites the reaction of the Danish cartoons. But that's a dodge. We don't need to go back years to discuss outrage over cartoons. The murders of the Charlie Hebdo staff are the very expression of outrage, Corbett citing as a reason not to run the cartons. Well, when it comes to Islam, how does China feel about this? According to the D.C. clothesline, China bans Islam. They don't care about all the crybabies who complain. When China banned Ramadan on its Turkic Muslim population, Muslims globally, and including much of the Western media, began to expose the issue with the typical gameplay of victimhood. In reality, in China, Muslims are allowed to pray fast and go to the mosques, however, with the restriction that they do not preach toward non-Muslim villages with the aim of spreading an Islamic revolution throughout China. There is, therefore, some flexibility in terms of allowing the Islamic way of life despite the limited resources in terms of scholars and Islamic books that may be understood by locals. There's also Chinese imams who lead congregational prayers, and there's room for Muslims to gather, break their fast together, and pray. Yet, in recent years, there's been a rise in prohibitions with regard to fasting in some Muslim provinces where there's political unrest. In other words... In China, once Islam starts trouble, a ban on Islam is issued in the trouble zone. China's telling Muslims, if you want to fast Ramadan, it's fine. But if you want to push your revolution, then a Ramadan ban is added as a bonus punishment. In these troubled regions, China has added several bonus punishments and banned all Muslim civil servants, Muslim students, and Muslim teachers, especially in the Xinjiang province, with a large Muslim population in the Northwest. In addition to a ban on fasting, China has ordered restaurants to stay open all day during the Ramadan. Food service workers and workplaces will operate normal business hours during Ramadan. A notice posted on the website of the Food and State and Drug Administration said, even wearing the hijab in public including on public transportation and when getting married in a religious ceremony, was banned in 2014, with fines of about $353 for wearing a hajib in public. In China's Muslim trouble-making areas, prohibiting alcohol and smoking and eating halal food, is considered radical behavior and it's also banned. Wherever there's a Muslim revolution, there's a ban on Islam. Now, if China's ways are applied to the U.S., it would be the end of Dearborn, including all of the crybabies of victimhood from homosexuals and anyone else with a chip on their shoulder. The game of victimhood has risen sky high in the U.S. since Obama was elected into office. It's strange to think, it also strange to believe, that homosexuals just want to practice their sexuality, and they don't want to have an agenda to push their lifestyle, say, on children. With all the hoopla about freedom of religion, try to have Dearborn decide that it's now a Muslim zone and is independent from Michigan and the entire U.S. Yeah, that's acceptable, isn't it? And I wanted to tell you the truth uh, from net News about the attack in uh, Egypt by the Islamic State. I know the media here in the U.S. has covered this bombing in Egypt, but here's the full story coordinated attacks in restive areas plagued by jihad activity some days after the country's top prosecutor was killed. Islamic State affiliates have claimed responsibility for that. Egyptian security and military officials said on Wednesday the Islamic militants staged simultaneous attacks, including a suicide car bombing on army checkpoints in North Sinai, killing at least 100, including soldiers and civilians. Islamic State's Egyptian affiliate claimed responsibility for the attack in a statement on Twitter. It was not just a simple one-time attack. An Egyptian military spokesman said battles were ongoing and that airstrikes against terrorists were also continuing. The Egyptian military issued a statement saying that 70 terrorists had participated in attacks at five checkpoints. It said it returned fire, killing 22 terrorists and destroying three vehicles. Egyptian media outlets reported that the coordinated attacks in northern Sinai included three suicide bombings. Officials said militants also took soldiers captive and seized several armored vehicles. Al-Arabia reported that the Egyptian military was boosting its forces in the northern Sinai and the area that's bordering Gaza. Meanwhile, the Egyptian Defense Ministry announced a level three state of emergency. Now, witnesses told Egyptian media outlets the town of Shaikh felt like a war zone, with battles between ISIS fighters and militants and security forces. According to these reports, the militants mined roads in order to limit movement and placed explosive charges around the police headquarters, preventing law enforcement from leaving. We are under siege, a source in the police station told one outlet. The source denied unverified reports that the town had been fully overrun. The attack came just two days after the assassination in Cairo of the country's top prosecutor, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, vowed on Tuesday to set up a two-year crackdown on militants. Well, Wednesday's attack came in a swift response to al-Sisi's pledge the previous day to carry out justice for the Prosecutor General's assassination and possibly, now get this, pay attention to this, and possibly move to execute Muslim Brotherhood leaders, an Islamist group from which Morsi hails. Action was taken within days. To enable us to execute the law and bring justice as soon as possible, he said, we will stand in force of the whole world and fight the whole world. In a thinly veiled reference to jailed members of the Brotherhood, al-Sisi blamed the violence on those quote-unquote issuing orders from behind bars and warned if there's a death sentence, it will be carried out. So he's threatening to execute Muslim Brotherhood leaders. So this raised a question for me. Let me tell you the story from the Telegraph where Obama has blocked Arab attempts to fight ISIS. Now let's see if there's a connection here. The United States has blocked attempts by its Middle East allies to fly heavy weapons directly to the Kurds who are fighting Islamist state jihadists in Iraq, this according to The Telegraph. Some of America's closest allies say President Barack Obama and other Western leaders, including David Cameron, are failing to show strategic leadership over the world's aggressive security crisis in decades. They now say they're willing to go it alone, In supplying heavy weapons to the Kurds, even if it means defying the Iraqi authorities and their American backers who demand all weapons be channeled through Baghdad. High-level officials from Gulf and other states have told the newspaper that all attempts to persuade Mr. Obama of the need to arm the Kurds directly as part of a more vigorous plan to take on the Islamic State of Iraq have failed. The Senate voted down any attempt by supporters of the Kurds last month. Officials say they're looking at new ways to take the fight to ISIS without seeking U.S. approval. If the Americans in the West are not prepared to do anything serious about defeating ISIS, then we'll have to find ways of dealing with the threat ourselves. This according to a senior Arab government official. With ISIS making ground all the time, we simply cannot afford to wait for Washington to wake up to the threat that we face. The Peshmerga have been successfully fighting ISIS, driving them back from the gates of Erbil, and with the support of Kurds from neighboring Syria, reestablishing control over parts of northern Iraq. But they're doing so with makeshift armory. Millions of pounds of weapons have been brought by a number of European countries to arm the Kurds. But American commanders, who are overseeing all military operations against ISIS, are blocking the arms transfer. One of the core complaints of the Kurds is the Iraqi army has abandoned so many weapons in the face of these ISIS attacks, the Peshmerga are fighting modern American weaponry with out-of-date Soviet equipment. Because ISIS has Americans' weapons that were abandoned by Iraq. At least one Arab state is understood to be considering arming the Peshmerga directly despite U.S. opposition. Well, Jihad Watch says this, There's simply no strategic approach. There's a lack of coordination in selecting targets. There's no overall plan for defeating ISIS. The president keeps forcing people to ask the question, which side is he on? If the Americans in the West are not prepared to do anything serious about defeating ISIS, then we'll have to find new ways of dealing with the threat. A senior Arab government official said, With ISIS making ground all the time, we simply cannot afford to wait for Washington. The U.S. has also infuriated its allies, particularly Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and the Gulf states, by what they perceive to be a lack of a clear purpose on how they conduct the bombing campaign. Other members of the coalition say they have identified clear ISIS targets, but then been blocked by U.S. veto from firing on them. There's simply no strategic approach, according to one senior Gulf official. There's a lack of coordination in selecting targets. There's no overall plan for defeating ISIS. High level officials from Gulf and other states have told the newspaper that all attempts to persuade Mr. Obama of the need to arm the Kurds directly as part of a more vigorous plan to take on ISIS have failed. This seems to come from Obama as soon as Egypt said it was going to execute Muslim Brotherhood leaders. Why is Obama opposed to doing everything he can to defeat ISIS? Is there a Muslim Brotherhood connection that's stopping him from doing this? We know that Hillary Clinton's top aide, Huma Abedin, her family is directly connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. In fact, her mother is a top leader in the female version of the Muslim Brotherhood. Her father is an opium trader with direct ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, who are other Muslim Brotherhood members that are connected to the White House? Let's see. There's Arif Alakan, former Department of Homeland Security Assistant Secretary for Policy Development, member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Salam Al Miradi, founder and executive director of Muslim Pacific Affairs Council. Muhammad Alabari, Homeland Security Advisor Committee member. Really? Rasad Hussein, Department Special Envoy to the Organized Islamic Corporation. Imam Mohammed Magid, Homeland Security Countering Violent Terrorism Group member. <laughs> really? Ibu Potel, Obama's Administration Advisory Council on Faith Based Neighborhood Partnerships. And of course, Huma Abedin. Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, all of these people with strong direct ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. And, of course, we all know that President Obama's half-brother is a firm member of the Muslim Brotherhood. So, apparently, although he won't admit it, there sure seems to be a connection there, huh? So, there's no real reason to do anything about this, right? Well, Fox News is reporting... 74 children executed by ISIS for crimes that include refusal to fast. These blood-soaked executioners of ISIS have spared neither women nor children since the jihadist army established its caliphate a year ago, putting an estimated 74 kids and even more women to death for such offenses as practicing magic and refusing to fast during Ramadan. A total of 3,027 people have been executed by ISIS since it declared itself a state under strict Islamic law in Syria and Iraq last June. According to the new report by the UK-based group Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, many of the charges against those executed were recorded as blasphemy and spying, but others include sorcery, sodomy, practicing as a Shia Muslim, which, of course, the Sunnis don't like. Just this week, two children whose ages were unknown were crucified in the Azor province in eastern Syria after ISIS executed them for not properly fasting during Ramadan. The children's bodies put on public display on crossbars. Each bore a sign explaining their violation during the holy month for Muslims that run June 17th to July 17th with each execution justified by ISIS interpretation of the Quran. The group is attempting to portray itself as the true practitioners of Islam, say experts. Underlying all of these executions is the apocalyptic ideology of the final battle between the believers and the unbelievers, said Jasmine Opperman, the director of Southern African Operations at the Terrorism Research and Analyst Consortium. ISIS is using execution to show its followers and would be followers that the group is the only true representative of believers, not only in word but action, which is why executions are featured so prominently. Short on to say other children died fighting for their lives. The violent Islamic group appears to demonstrate a particular interest in children, releasing videos of children fighting in cages and undertaking military training. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said the report also details some undertaken by the group to entice children to join, which includes setting up offices called Cubs of the Caliphate that recruit children to fight for ISIS. The United Nations Committee on Rights of the Child released a report in February documenting the many horrors ISIS has imposed on children who are Kurdish, Yazidi, Christian, and even Muslim children, even those who are mentally challenged, are being tortured, crucified, buried alive, used as suicide bombers, and sold as sex slaves. Islamic State group executed two women by beheading them. Last Friday, the Islamic State claimed responsibility for the death of 38 people in Tunisia who were gunned down, and another 27 who died after a bomb rocked a Shia mosque in Kuwait. So, yeah, no worries, Mr. Obama. You can forget these atrocities with a few rounds of golf, maybe a private concert at the White House with your favorite music artist, right? I'm going to take a short break here. When I come back, even though we don't have an Iranian deal yet, it seems that the Iranians are already reaping the benefits as Iran repatriates 13 tons of gold under sanctions relief. How does that work? We're going to talk about the Pope's new encyclical on climate change, where he's calling for a global council, along with a planetary court. This will be a world government, an earth constitution, a global council, a planetary court to enforce these new climate change rules. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. You're listening to End Time News.
0: Do you think the media is biased?
2: Maybe they're leaving something out, or there's something they're not telling you. Now, you have a source for the truth in the news. W. Dean Shook, End Time News. Your connection to the signs of the times.
0: Five...
1: The task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order, because the global order is changing again, and the institutions and in the world worked so well in the post-World War II era for decades, uh, they need to be strengthened, and some have to be changed. We have
0: before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of of the world.
3: Never before has a new world order had to be assembled from so many different perceptions or on so global a scale nor has any previous order had to combine the attributes of the historic balance of power system with global democratic opinion and the exploding technology of the contemporary period.
0: After 1989, President Bush kept said, and it's a phrase that I often use myself, that we needed a new world order. I think his task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period, when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't just a crisis. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order, where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind, peace and security, freedom, and the rule of law. Such is a world worthy of our struggle and worthy of our children's future. So, in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, a new world is emerging. It is a new world order with significantly different and radically new challenges.
1: And the hope that each of us has to build a new world order.
0: And I surely believe India will be a central actor in the new world order. GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself
2: on the web, from domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world, Sign up now at WDanshook.com and get your
0: domain name as low as five ninety-nine a year. Sign up now at Wdeanshook.com. Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy.
2: Hi, folks. Have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now, you can have your own personal drone. Anything from a Micro Mini that'll fit in the palm of your hand. Right up to a full-scale model. 10 inches in diameter like the model I have. The V949 Pro comes with a 6-axis, 4-rotor blade, and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polymer. They're durable. And don't worry about crashing your drone. Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only a dollar eighty for a pack of four. That's right, I said a dollar eighty for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone, and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website, wdeanshook.com, and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit. You can be up and flying your own personal drone with an HD camera within a half hour. Come to the webpage, wdeanshook.com. Click on that banner and get your discount today, wdnsook.com.
5: You know, it seems these days that not a single one of us steps on a train, boards an airplane, attends a concert or a sporting event and doesn't have at least a fleeting concern that terror could strike. The reality of the post-9-11 world is that we're at war and. We are a target. We all live with some level of uncertainty and fear. It's easy to lose sight of an issue that defines our generation, the need to stop terrorism in our time. Our president apologizes for America. And he's made it clear that the era of American exceptionalism is over. He campaigned on closing Guantanamo and trying terrorists in civilian court. On his second day in office, he stopped enhanced interrogation and he closed down the black sites. You know, where we got the intel that ultimately led us to Bin Laden. He has all but abandoned Israel despite the fact that Iran is the world's leading sponsor of terror, that openly calls for the annihilation of Israel. All while Iran develops a nuclear bomb that they recently announced could be delivered to U.S. targets via missiles developed during Obama's presidency. While he does nothing but talk. The question for every American is simply, Are we safer? Arewesafer.com provides you with the facts and the potential consequences of these failed policies so that you can make informed decisions. I mean, let's face it. If things don't change, everything will change. And we all hope that day never comes.
2: Now, you have a source for the truth
0: in the news. W. Dean Shook, End Time News. Your connection
2: to the signs of the times. Thank you for allowing me that break. I appreciate it so very much. And according to the Washington Free Beacon, Iran repatriates 13 tons of gold under sanctions relief. How can that be when we don't even have a deal with them yet? Out of Vienna, Iran officials said Monday the Islamic Republic's central bank has successfully repatriated 13 tons of gold as part of a package of sanctions relief provided to Iran by U.S. and Western powers. The gold was transferred to Iran by the government of South Africa, which has been holding on the assets due to the harsh sanctions meant to pressure Tehran to rein in its rogue nuclear program. The gold appears to have been released as part of a sanction relief package, that will have awarded Iran nearly $12 billion in unfrozen cash assets by the time negotiations wrap up next week. Iran received $4.2 billion in unfrozen assets under the 2013 interim agreement with the United States. It was given another $2.8 billion by the Obama administration last year in a bid to keep the Tehran commitment to the talks. The State Department calculates Iran will have received a total of $11.9 billion in assets just to keep talking about the deal. The governor of Iran's central bank announced to the country's state-controlled media that the South Africans have finally returned this 13 tons of gold, a sum of 13 tons has been purchased before and was deposited in South Africa in the past two years could not be transferred to Iran due to these sanctions and it was delivered to the Central Bank of Iran's Treasury last night. Central Bank, Governor Saif, was quoted as telling the Fars News Agency they had been working for some time to secure the gold's release but that the country was prevented from doing so as a result of the illogical problems that were created under the pretext of sanctions. The removal of Iran's sanctions and gaining access to the country's financial and gold resources abroad is one of the main objectives of Iran's negotiating team in the ongoing nuclear talks, according to Fars. As of today, there is no deal with Western powers in Iran. Looks like we've been lied to again because this deal was prohibited by the sanctions. My goodness. And as promised before the break, Pope Francis calls for a new global political authority to save humanity. This is reported by the D.C. clothesline. Pope Francis says the global warming is a fact and that a new global political authority is necessary in order to save humanity from utter disaster. The new encyclical that was scheduled to be released on Thursday has been leaked. Been reported that the new global political authority that Pope Francis envisions would be in charge of the reduction of pollution and the development of poor countries and regions. The funny thing is that this sounds very much in line with the new sustainable development agenda that's going to be launched at the United Nations in September. This radical new agenda is already being called Agenda 21 on steroids because it goes so much further than Agenda 21 ever did. The new UN agenda does not just address the environment. It also addresses issues such as poverty, agriculture, education, and gender equality. It's essentially a blueprint for governing the entire planet. And this sounds very much like what Pope Francis also wants. In fact... Pope Francis has given a speech to kick off his UN conference in September where this new sustainable agenda will be launched and for some reason, the Pope has decided to make the fight against climate change the central pillar of his papacy. He's working very hard to unite as much of humanity as possible to get behind that effort. It's not an accident that this new encyclical is coming out now. An article from The Guardian even states that the release was intended to have maximum public impact prior to the Pope's major speech at the UN in September. This rare and has been timed to have maximum impact ahead of the Pope's meeting with Barack Obama and his address to the Congress and the UN General Assembly. It's also intended to improve the prospects of a strong new UN Global Agreement to Cut Climate Emissions By adding a moral dimension to the well-rehearsed scientific arguments, Francis hopes to raise the ambition of countries above their own self-interest to secure a strong deal in a crucial climate summit in Paris in November. Much of this encyclical is not that surprising, but what raises eyebrows is the Pope's calling for a new global political authority. Here's more from The Guardian. Pope Francis will this week call for changes in lifestyle and energy consumption to avert the quote-unquote unprecedented destruction of the ecosystem before the end of the century. According to a leaked draft of the papal encyclical in a document released by an Italian magazine on Monday, the pontiff will warn that future to act would have grave consequences for all of us, Francis also called for a new global political authority tasked with tackling the reduction of pollution and the development of poor countries and regions. His appeal echoed that of his predecessor, Pope Benedict, who in 2009 produced an encyclical, proposed a kind of super UN to deal with the world's economic problems and injustices. What's even more alarming is who will be on the stage with the Pope when this encyclical is formally released. John Schulenberger, who's a German professor that has a very radical view on climate change. For instance, he believes that our planet is overpopulated by at least 6 billion people. Professor John Schulenberger has been chosen as a speaker for the Vatican, rolling out his papal document on climate change. He's the professor who previously said the planet is overpopulated. Now the Vatican is giving him a platform will result in an official church doctrine in support of radical depopulation in the name of climate science. And Schulenberger also happens to believe that we need a new global political authority. If he had his way, there would be an earth constitution, a global council directly elected by the people of the planet, and a planetary court that would be above all other courts on the globe. The following is an expert of a very disturbing piece that he authored. He said, let me conclude this short contribution with a daydream about those key institutions that could bring about a sophisticated and therefore more appropriate vision of the conventional world government notion. Global democracy might be organized around the core activities, namely an earth constitution, a global council, and a planetary court. He said, I cannot discuss these institutions in any detail here, but I would like to indicate at least this. The Earth Constitution would transcend the UN Charter and identify those first principles guiding humanity in its quest for freedom, dignity, security, and sustainability. The Global Council would be an assembly of individuals elected directly by all the people on Earth where eligibility should not be constrained by geographical, religious, or cultural quotas. The planetary court would be a transitional legal body open to appeals from everyone, especially with respect to violation of the Earth Constitution. Does the Pope want something similar? Well, here's a clip of what Mr. Schulenherber really wants. I think it's quite telling that Schulenherber was invited to stand with the Pope as a major encyclical is released to the world. Did Schulenherber play a role in drafting it? Has he been advising the Pope on these matters? Does the Pope share his vision on the future? And does the Pope share Schulenherber's belief that our planet is currently overpopulated by 6 billion people? If so, how would the Pope solve that problem? Well, without a doubt. Most of those that make up the global elite would love to see the number of people decline. Of course, the Pope is not going to publicly advocate getting rid of 6 billion people, but clearly he's extremely concerned about the impact that all of us have on this planet. The funny thing is, the earth is not even warming. In fact, there's been no sign of global warming for the last 10 years. Over the years the government and the scientific community has stood their ground when it comes to climate change. They've been adamant in their assertion that the planet is gradually warming due to human activity and that we need to do our part to stop climate change. However, the data proves by the scientific community doesn't always jibe with their claims. At least it seems to be the case with the data coming out of NOAA's climate monitoring stations They have a series of 114 stations across all 50 states, which is known as the U.S. Climate Reference Network. For the past 10 years, they've shown no sign of global warming. In fact, there's been a very slight cooling in temperature across the U.S. But at this point, most of the world has bought into this propaganda. It must be industrialized nations. A solid majority of the population actually believes... The climate is the greatest threat that humanity currently faces. And since about all forms of humanity produce carbon emissions or affect the environment in some way, it gives control freaks the dream of global government and a good excuse to grab more power. They'll always say that it's about saving humanity or saving the planet. But ultimately, everything that they're trying to accomplish would mean more power in their hands. Well, and there's others who are already on board with this. According to the Vancouver Sun, the Thomas Reuters Foundation says it wasn't an invitation she accepted, but Canadian environmentalist Naomi Klein, a self-styled secularist Jewish feminist, was happy to address Vatican officials on Wednesday after Pope Francis enlisted her for a campaign against climate change. Pope Francis, spiritual leader of the world's 1.2 billion Roman Catholics, Published a 192-page cyclical warning of a future of unprecedented destruction. Klein, whose best-selling book, included This Changes Everything, Capitalism versus the Climate. Oh, boy. She argues the global economy needs to be fundamentally changed, rather than just tweaked, to slow the warming of planet Earth. She said we can save ourselves, but only if we let go of the myth of dominance and mastery and learn how to work with nature. Klein said this at an environmental conference with Catholic officials in Vatican City. She slammed economic experts who place oversized value on protecting corporate profits and economic growth rather than the poor who she said will be mostly affected by climate change. Klime argued financiers to divest from fossil fuel companies and made the case for supporting local agriculture and community-run renewable energy projects. She said government needs to implement policies to reach 100% renewable energy in two to three decades rather than by the end of the century, she said. It's possible to keep global temperature rises below 1.5 degrees Celsius if climate change becomes a top collective priority. She said if nothing changes and temperatures rise by 4 degrees, the results will be catastrophic. And she says this in spite of the fact that temperatures have not risen at all in the past 10 years. In fact, we have overall global cooling. Peter Turskin echoed those same concerns. The Pope notes the climate is a common good belonging to all The same mindset which stands in the way of making radical decisions to reverse the trend of global warming also stands in the way of achieving goal of eliminating poverty. Those calls could be especially important for foresting change in the United States, where some politicians use the Bible as a cover for their opposition to action to slow global warming, Klein said. Ah, so apparently it's the Christians' fault again. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And I want to remind you, you can download the End News radio app, your iPhone or your Android, available at Google Play or at the App Store. It's absolutely free. Download it today and never miss another episode of Endtime News. And as usual, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, I'll be back with more truth in the news. Thank you.
0: Everybody, gather around. I'm here to give you anything you like. You want free college, energy, mortgages, <laughs> whatever you like. You have come to the right place. Why? I'll tell you why. Who can take your money? Who can take your money? With a twinkle in their eye. A twinkle in their eye. Take it all away and give it to some other guy. The government. Men can